Welcome to the My Hot Life Podcast. Hello and welcome to the My Hot Life Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. And Russell, the Hollywood Fringe Festival has officially started. June 8th was its opening day and we saw a ton of shows again this weekend. It was a jam-packed weekend for sure. Yeah, we saw 16 shows this weekend between the two of us. Wow. I didn't realize it was quite that many. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, definitely. And again, like our, the preview weekend previously, lots of variety, so much variety. Oh, definitely. So we're going to quickly go through and talk about the stuff. And I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about a couple of the ones you saw that I have not been able to fit in my schedule yet. Okay. So what was the first thing you saw? Uh, The first thing I saw was the Little Mermaid of Movement piece. Uh, This one just intrigued me and i and you know that's the good thing about fringe you you can see we always talk about how the creators can experiment but that also goes for the patrons like they can experiment and take a chance on seeing a show that they might not normally go to see and this was one of those shows for me and i'm so glad i went because it was it was definitely different than what we're used to and this show made me realize that you're rubbing off off on me in a good way i hope just the whole like emotions thing (laughs) you know there's actually a couple shows uh and i'll get into one of them later where i i could just hear your words echoing in my head and it was a scary time for me oh i'm i'm so sorry that you've reached that point but uh I've been that way with you for a while now. You, you, your voice constantly follows me around. Yeah, but at least it's for like messed up movies. <laughs> That's and usually what it is. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, the the first show was uh, the Little Mermaid, a movement piece, and this is dialogue free. Everything is expressed through the expressions on the actors' faces, through dance, and through the music of Evanescence. Wow. So, yeah, so that's that's what intrigued me. And I've never seen The Little Mermaid. Like, I've never read in, the book. In any version? Any version. I've never seen the Disney movie. I've never seen, like, any other version or any of that. So all I know about The Little Mermaid is Ariel <laughs> like, from Disney. But <laughs> Okay, just, just the fact that you know who she is? Yeah. All right. Um, so that was another reason I wanted to go check this out, to see if I could go to a show that I know nothing about and still take something away. And I did. I was able to follow the story. I was able to see what was going on. And man, like seeing, like, I'm so used to haunts and I'm so used to being scared. I'm so used to going to things like that. The whole, um, like, emotional thing has, has is a new thing for me. And this this piece, man, like, you know, because there's no dialogue, seeing the pain and like the anguish on like people's face, like when they fall in love or when something horrible happens, you know, the things like that, when there's no dialogue, make it that much more impactful. Hmm. And that's, and it just kind of like randomly hit me. I was like, oh my God, like, She's super sad. And and I mean, obviously, that sounds bad. Like, you know, obviously know the character is sad. But like, and that's what actors do is they express feelings. But it was different. Like, and it's really hard to to describe. But like, I like I felt I felt for 
the little mermaid like she like i just i don't know I, i'm babbling about this well, now but <laughs> is, i was i was I don't, I don't think you probably heard it but i was snickering a little bit as you were fumbling there team snickering <laughs> i was team snickering yes uh no, what it sounds like, it's like, no, it's not a bad description, Mike, but what it sounds like is it was actually having an effect on you. That's what it sounds like you're trying to say. I mean, I guess, but not as an effect as like I started crying or anything, but yeah. like an effect is like, oh, wow, this is a really good piece, even though it's not something I'm used to. Yeah, it sounds very much out of your your normal wheelhouse, kind of. Yeah, and, and that's another thing. There was uh, one character, I guess it's the Little Mermaid's father, and, mm-hmm. you know, he was a bigger guy. And just seeing him, like, walk with, like, such force over to her, like, I, you could, like, I was getting scared for her, you know? Like, you know, just walking, like, with this scowl on his face and this mean look and just, like, going up to her. And it's like, oh, crap, it the, it's going to hit the fan, you know? Like, <laughs> and then this, the sea witch. And, you know, I think, I feel like I'm discovering something about traditional theater, that I haven't before because I never really gave it a chance. And I think this was a good piece for me to see because of that. It sounds very unique. Yeah, I really liked it. So I will try to fit this into my schedule after after talking to you about it, definitely. And you are a Little Mermaid fan, I'm assuming, right? Uh, it's not my favorite classic fairy tale story, partially because I never encountered it in school or anything. Mm -hmm. I I guess some people do, but I didn't discover the little mermaid tale until much later in life. Uh, actually when I worked for Disney. So that was, you know, that was the first time I'd ever really discovered it. So it's new to me. Yeah. So what were you seeing when I was seeing that? That night I did sweet dreams, the prologue. Oh, from Shine On. Yeah. Which is a company which uh, we've talked about before. and, And Mike, you and I both like, um, Sweet Dreams the Prologue is a it's it's short it's about 15 minutes and the reason it's called Sweet Dreams the Prologue is because it's a prologue for a bigger production they're planning later in the year so this is sort of setting up a world and it's a really brief introduction and they did you know we talk about immersive stuff and and how there's different ways that immersive pieces try to pull you in. The interesting thing, Mike, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, Shine On Collective, if you were paying attention to their social media, pointed you toward a Craigslist ad. Oh, yeah, I emailed them. He emailed me back. Yes. And um, there was a character named Philip who uh, placed it and at... Placed Placed it. <laughs> he placed an ad on Craigslist... Uh, explaining that he was looking for a, um, a lost girl that, that he had lost contact with. Right. And um, he's a dreamer, and he's looking... Well, the way I messaged him is uh, he was looking for his dream girl, and I sent him a message basically saying, you know, I can understand you know losing your dream girl and trying to find her like I can relate to that and he sent me a message back sort of suggesting like well if you're a dreamer I want to talk to you because I think it's going to take a dreamer to help me find her so I had had that little preface leading into this meeting and so I because the show is up and running and because this show is also going to go to the San Diego Fringe Festival Mike after it's run here and Midsummer Scream yeah so people are going to have a chance to discover this for a while. So I'm not going to give a lot of spoilers, but Philip, the person who sent that email, uh, I met him in person. 
uh, and he sort of explained a bit more about his quest of looking for his dream girl. And I will say, being that I saw sort of a preview night, um, they were still working out a couple of kinks. Um, I I think my meeting with Philip was uh, it, it was a little rocky in the fact that it was a little. I think there could have been more mystery there, but I guarantee you that that will they will find that tone. It's like it's just like. Uh, you know, Alexander Nichols, who plays that role, um, we've encountered him in shows before. He's really well cast for this. I, re- I really think he's he's a really good cast choice for this. Um, you know, he sort of sets up this world of he explains the quest of looking for the, his dream girl. And then the show takes a shift. And all I want to say is that you... Hmm... Again, it's this weird spoiler thing that <laughs> you encounter. No, that's not it. You, you encounter. That's not a fair way of saying. Let's just say that you get introduced to another aspect of his story, and you do meet another character. Well, you meet Rose, who is the is a girl who knows that people are looking for her, but she indicates that she may or may not want to be found. And I will say this, um, Hannah Faust, who plays Rose, she has this really eerie charm, Mike, that was just, it was a really seductive performance because she, she kind of pulls you into a very specific location. Uh, and I will say this about Shine On, they are so good about taking small spaces and creating sort of something magical inside them. And they do that here. You, you sort of enter a really small space where you learn a little bit more of the story, but that space, you're, you're entering someone's home in a weird sense. And Shinon is so good about building those worlds. And, you know, in this 15 minute introduction to these couple of people, you kind of get two sides of a coin. And I got to say, I'm really intrigued to see where this goes. And, and I, I'll be back for the bigger show, depending on when it is. I, I want in on this. Is it a one-on-one thing? Yes, cool. very much so. Oh, th- yeah, thanks for pointing that out. I didn't say that, did I? Um, no, you, you go through alone. Uh, you, and there's, there's a purpose for that. There's a reason. Um, Philip, yeah, Philip kind of explains what he needs from you. Um, and the show ends on kind of a intriguing slightly unsettling note maybe okay so uh sweet dreams the prologue uh definitely is a, an intriguing setup for a world that shine will be exploring uh in bigger shows soon to come cool and i am really excited to hear from you about <laughs> what you were doing because i i know that you liked what the, what you did yeah, because as soon as I got out of the show, I texted you saying, you need to go see the show because you're going to love it. No, I, I think your actual text was, Russell, buy a ticket to this now. <laughs> I think that was your actual text. Pressure's on. <laughs> um, the and by sh- the way, I have bought a ticket for it. Awesome. Uh, the show we're talking about is Charlatan, Secrets of the Victorian Psychics. I love this show so much. Um, it was part history lesson, part magic show part mentalism um part lecture and it was such a good combination of things and um the person behind it uh dr mark gasson he's an actual scientist um so coming at it from that point of view it 
already is a it's already a subject that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. You know, like me too. Yeah. You know, because you know we love magic and we love the history of of things and and he, but he goes on to talk about the tricks that the Victorian quote unquote psychics use in order to fool the people of that time and in in order to, for financial gain. Um, now he doesn't really expose secrets in this show. Um, there are a couple, but it's doesn't, it doesn't matter. So if you're going to the show thinking, you know, someone's breaking the magician's code, that's not what, what's going on in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but what he does is he takes you through and it's like, and tells you a story about a con that these, these psychics would do. So for example, um, you know, there's a, a scene where, where the spirits would knock and uh, he's talking about the sisters and I forget their name, but they're the the most famous like frauds when it comes to to Uh, psychics. Yeah. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah. You know know who who you're talking about. Yeah. But he'll start telling that around the same time, like Marjorie, the medium and the color brothers. Yeah. yeah, Like all of that stuff. So he'll start telling a story about how they could communicate with the spirits and, but he would tell us as if he were they Oh, interesting. In a way. So it's like they would do this and they would call someone up and he would call someone from the audience and, you know, go through the the motions of what they would do. And it's like we can communicate with the spirits and they, what they would do is they would say like one knock for yes, two for no. And then you would hear the knocks and he would go through exactly what they did to fool everyone. Oh, this sounds fascinating. But it I, was, I am it so, was yeah. so much fun. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to this now. And you, you, you've you been saying the word psychics, but uh, it, it sounds like by your description, you're you're also referring to like the mediums who would claim to speak to the dead. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And how they're all frauds. <laughs> <laughs> so, allegedly. Yeah. But yeah, this is, this was one of the shows that I came out of so... I had that goofy smile on my face because uh, walking in, I didn't really know what to expect. And I, I walked in thinking it was going to be so, like a lecture as, as far as like, oh, this is what happened. This mm-hmm. is what they pulled, like that kind of thing. But what it was, was just, you know, that perfect combination of, of show and history. And I, I, uh, I, I loved it so much. I'm so happy to hear that. And, and like I said, based on your recommendation, you were so excited about about it that I have already bought a ticket for next weekend. Yeah, you're going to... I can't wait to hear what you think. I'm so looking forward to this. And after you see it, uh, or if anybody listening see it, I was able to um, choose the good and evil. Okay. Or the good and criminal, I should say. Oh. So if you've been to the show, you know what I'm talking about. You'll eventually know what I'm talking okay. about. All right. I'm intrigued. It was awesome. Now, I believe later that same night, Mike, I went and saw something called Quantum Entanglement. Oh, with the Liger. Yes. <laughs> well, not with the Liger, but... Yes, he's uh, Mike is referring to Caitlin Schiller, who actually wrote Quantum Entanglement, and uh, she... We've seen her perform in other shows, Mike, and she just shines in this piece yeah well let, my reference to being a liger she played a tiger that thinks it's a lion that thinks it's a tiger in annie lesser's show uh cavell which is part of the abc project so that's where that reference comes from absolutely and um like i said she just uh, i i think her 
her performance is so strong in this and so endearing and so enchanting. Um, she also wrote the piece, like I said. Here's the thing. Quantum Entanglement, for me, um, it, it's it's this really oddball comedy, Mike, and it's bittersweet. It, it kind of takes off from conversations about quantum physics and how particles relate to each other, you know, from a scientific standpoint. And then it tries to somehow relate that to human relationships. The thing here, this, the, the strength of this show is the performances of the cast. They are universally strong. Uh, Peyton Ackerman as this totally endearing, but completely frustrating science geek. Oh my God. There were times when you just wanted to throttle this guy Except he's so darn nice that you you also like I understand why nobody has killed this guy because he's so charming and nice even though he's like he he can't relate to people because he's such a science nerd. It, it, it's it's a fascinating character to watch, um, and also I want to point to Amanda Zarr as the mother who has a, a tough role in this because she's sort of playing this bewildered character who gives a lot of relationship information. Uh, about her and her daughter uh it's it's i i don't want to say too much about the story but it is about a family that is is sort of breaking apart from each other hence the quantum physics conversation which is about how things relate to each other so uh, i will say this mike this is one of those shows that you look at it and you go an hour is not enough it's like i think she needs to take this piece and she needs to fill it out more because there is like there's one character who really has no ending; they they sort of fade away. Uh, some of the information about the relationship with the mom isn't clarified by the end of the show, but the performances are so strong. I mean, this is some of the strongest acting I've seen this year in Fringe. Oh wow, it's that good. But the material is too much for one hour. I wanted more. I wanted this universe to be expanded and explored more. There's a couple of plot points that seem to come out of nowhere. So it's almost as if this is a condensed version of something. I want to see the full piece. And I think it warrants being a full production. One hour, like I said, just at the end of it, it was like, I want more information about these characters and where they end up. So and it's because of the performances, I think, that I felt that way. So Quantum Entanglement, fascinating the reason to go is for the performances. Awesome. I think while I was in that show, weren't you also in a show? Probably. I, I, I'm getting our <laughs> schedule so confused right now. I know. This is what happens when we don't do every show together. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. And it's like, and we, <laughs> we keep texting each other and, and trying to figure out where we're going to be, et cetera. But uh, so when I was doing that, where were you? I was seeing Rhapsody. Um, and Rhapsody is a traditional fall in love with magic again magic show oh that's awesome like it's so good it was it's just you know traditional sleight of hand um you know card tricks rope tricks all of that stuff that made me like magic in the first place Mm -hmm. um and jonathan sky is the performer and he takes storytelling elements as well as new orleans jazz influences uh and combines them into a magic show. I mean, he even has a trumpet that he plays. No, in which the trumpet makes an appearance at the end and someone helps him. And it's one of the most awesomest and cleverest and cutest things ever. 
Oh, cool. Which, if you go to the show, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. Actually, based on your recommendation, based <laughs> how highly you spoke of this, I have a ticket for it for next weekend. Awesome. Do, you're like you. I know you are going to love this one personally. Cool. Just Excellent. based on 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 shows that we've seen previously together. Mm-hmm. Like this is. This is great for you. I I'm so looking forward to this. Yeah. And it's in such a small theater. You know, that we, we spoke about this when we talked about John Armstrong. Yeah. How we are lucky to see these performers in such intimate settings. Mm-hmm. This place is even smaller than the John Armstrong Theater. Wow. Okay. So it's very up close and personal. Um, and he does some things that I've never seen. They might be variations on things you've seen, but I, I don't know because like, you're more into this than I am. But they're pretty clever, and I was, I was pretty charmed by it. Like, oh, that's awesome! Yeah. So I, I again, I can't wait to hear what you think about this one. <laughs> I, I like I said, after hearing you talk about it just a little bit, I, I went and got a ticket as soon as I could. Yeah, looking forward to it. So I think that wraps up what our first night and a half. Yeah, that was no, that was Thursday. That was that was just Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Friday, Mike. Friday. Oh my God. I want to start by my experience. Yeah. I got into a one-on-one experience that was so emotionally moving and it was free, but in the long run, it's going to cost a lot of money. I think. I'm sorry to hear that part. Yeah, it's, it's fine. But uh, I mean, the emotional and literal impact that this piece had on me like left me with literal bruises. Like, yes, it's, you know, but, but man, you want to talk about being thrown for a ride? <laughs> literally. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, I'm going with all the puns I possibly can right now. I know where you're going. And I just like my jaw dropped when you said that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but man, this, this piece had me head over heels. Oh my God. Do you want me to keep going? Please do. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I appreciate your punning, but, uh, but anyways, I was on my way to fringe and I got into a scooter accident and was flown over my handlebars, which hence the puns. Yes, <laughs> but I'm fine. Everything's good. My scooter's in the shop. I don't know how much it'll cost yet, but you have a nasty bruise though on your leg. Yeah, whatever, but I'm fine. Yeah. I... And in the shows I missed, cause I had to deal with the tow truck. Um, I was able to get rescheduled. So right, I'm yeah. happy about that. Okay, can can I like it, you know, look, look, Mike, I consider you a good friend. So, you know that if I had known that you had gone through that, I would have immediately like, where is he? Like, what does he need? Does he need anything? Like, can we help him in any, you know, like you know that I would have gone into that mode. Do you know what I the message I got through like cuz I I was meeting Deb for a show cuz I thought you were going to be there as well. Right. So, Deb and I ended up seeing uh, a show. I literally, the, the way it was relayed to me was like, oh, Mike is staying home because he's sore. Yeah, that's. And, and, but, but here's the thing is I knew that you would have, I thought your scooter had broken down. I didn't know you had gotten in an accident. Oh. So what I thought when she said, oh, Mike's going to stay home because he's sore. I, uh, I thought you were just mad that your scooter broke down and that you were sore in the, in the emotional sense. Oh, Wow. So Deb I will just, never say I'm sore in the emotional sense. <laughs> so it was just like, like, oh, you know, Deb said, oh, he's staying home because he's sore. And I was like, oh, he must be really bummed out. I guess he's sad about his scooter, like malfunctioning. And nope. I had no idea that you were in an accident. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, I was hanging out in the Burger King parking lot. 
on the corner of 3rd and Alvarado waiting for a tow truck. Oh, wow. So, so that's why I said I'm staying home. Be, and actually, by the time the tow truck came and by the time I got towed to the shop, and then by the time I got home, because I had to wait for a ride, um, I wouldn't have even made it to the next show I had that night. Oh, wow. So. No, yeah, but that's, you know, I felt bad because I thought I didn't, I didn't even express concern for you. Yeah. I, I was actually thinking like, what the hell, Russell? Like, <laughs> like yeah, we're so, I'm supposed to be at the same show with you and you're not even seeing if I'm okay. Okay. Well, yeah. I felt horrible because I didn't know that you had been in an accident. <laughs> but anyways, I thought you were just being moody. Yeah. But the scooter experience is a one time only thing. And I was the lucky participant that was able to experience that so um these are my bragging rights right now and sorry I am not sorry gonna, listeners <laughs> i'm not gonna follow in your footsteps on this one <laughs> you can go on your own there even so. though i'm walking on air so oh oh man uh but uh, i'm glad you're okay thanks so me too I, I was very sorry to hear about your scooter um you know and i'm glad that you're okay and i'm glad that someday your scooter will probably be okay we'll see but the show you missed that Deb and I actually ended up seeing is The Rise and Fall of Dracula. I can't wait to see this. This is fascinating. This this gets really, really intriguing. It's sort of a... It's an immersive piece of theater that is the Dracula legend retold from a different gender perspective. Its roots, I think, are more of a dance piece, and yet it has dramatic scenes. It starts out with, I think a wonderful seduction sequence. And look, I'm going to name the characters. And if you're familiar with the Dracula legend, it's like, you'll, you'll know who I'm talking about. You know, the, the scene between Harker and Dracula is so, it's so eerie the way it's staged because it literally happens inches away from the entire audience. That's so cool. And it, they are moving through the audience and they're really, really close to, they were, they were very, very close to all of us. To be clear, Dracula is a woman in this version. So the seduction of Harker, the controlling of Harker, the friendship with Mina, uh, all of that takes on a really weird edge, Mike. That, that, that is, I, I'm really curious to see what you think of this when you see it. Now, as far as the immersive stuff goes, I really, really liked much of what was done here. You um, and again, I'm not going to get too much into spoilery stuff, but you do move from from area to area. You follow the action a bit, and some of this action is very because you are dealing with dancers. Some of it is very robust. Some of it is some of it is like a lot of heavy stage combat oriented. One battle sequence in particular was nerve wracking and exciting, and you know the performances were uniformly strong. Uh, this is a really interesting piece. I, I, Cassandra Ambe, maybe, is Dracula uh, and the choreographer. It's A-M-B-E. I'm not sure how you would pronounce that, Mike. You're on your own with this one. <laughs> okay. She's really strong. Mina is really strong. Tamara Burgess plays Mina. Uh, Sam Fleming is Harker. Matt Jennings is Van Helsing. One of the more interesting portrayals of Van Helsing I've seen. So... All I'm going to say is he's usually more roguish than this is portrayed. And I really thought this was a really interesting portrayal of him. This is a combination of where you are in the middle of scenes. At times you're, you're surrounding scenes. At times it's a proscenium show. Like this is a really interestingly staged piece. And the performances are strong. 
And it's an interesting piece, uh, a take on the Dracula legend. It's a twist I haven't seen before. And I also want to make mention of David Kaiser's music. It's just perfect. It like sets that whole, you know, organy gothic vibe right from the start. And it, it like I really enjoyed this a lot. That's awesome. Oh, and you you said you will have a chance to see this. Yes, I'm going to go um, later this week. Excellent. I'm so happy to hear that. So what else did you do that night? Uh, that night, I went to Zombie Joe's and saw Santa Deliria. But that's not a Fringe Festival show. Okay. So we'll talk about that later? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Let's continue with Fringe. <laughs> uh, the next day, I started my day with Fallen Stars at the charity sale. And Mike, this is, you know, again, I, how many times have you said this? This is the sort of piece that Fringe is made for. This is a completely experimental piece. And with that comes, like, the good and the bad of that. It's definitely, I think, the most innovative premise I've seen so far. Uh, the creator of this show, who is Aaron Vanek, is really experienced in the live-action role-playing, LARPing world. So what this is his first creation sort of as a straight play, but it has the LARPing influence. So, and it's actually based on a specific LARP that I'm not familiar with. And if you look in the program, when you see this show, um, it, it kind of gives you the, the name of that show. And if you wanted to research it, you could. The, the, the play itself at Fringe, you actually go to a charity sale. And when you walk in, they give you funds. They actually give you like play money okay. to spend at the charity sale. And I'm not going to go into all of the rules because they set it up really well right before the show. There are rules on how you can shop and when you can shop. So there are a series of items on stage. And then when the show begins, more items are added. And there are actors that attach themselves to the objects. And the actors speak as the objects on sale. Okay. And so there's, there's featured monologues where you get the background of certain items. And sometimes it's a sad tale. Sometimes it's a confused tale because they don't know why they were discarded. Um, sometimes it, you get like uh, the, the performance I saw, obviously this is a show that changes a lot from show to show. I'm sure in the performance I saw two of the items were linked by a relationship of two musicians. And one of those items each belonged to, of one of the musicians in the relationship. So I learned about two different sides of the relationship through those items. Uh, so you learn the history of the items through monologues. And then when the lights come up, if you want, there is a sort of a, a person that you can, you know, get their attention and she'll turn and say like, Oh, would you like to come shop? And you literally, you walk up on stage and you shop the charity sale. And this this is actually, it flows better than it probably sounds like it might because the woman controlling everything kind of keeps everything, you know, moving forward. And what happens is you can choose to buy the items that are held by the actors or you can choose anything else on stage that has a price tag on it with your money that they give you at the head of the show. So like this is, like I said, this is one of the most innovative, interesting, weird experimental premises I've seen at Fringe. So you have a coffee cup. Yes, I do. So was that bought with play money or real money? Play money. Oh, wow. And I walked away with the item. So when you buy the item, even though you didn't pay cash for it, you walk away with the item. Oh, wow. So 
here is the, so obviously this is kind of cool and kind of fun. It relies on the improvisation of the actors to keep the conversation going between the items. That was sometimes clunky because you know, it, like, look, we've been to improv comedy shows, and you know how tough those can be. Oh yeah. Okay, try thinking of maintaining like a fifty-five minute show with improv in between the stage monologues. That isn't sexual. It <laughs> right no. <laughs> So this, this, it's a really tough format to crack, but it's got a lot of positive stuff about it. The negative thing, I think, in the structure of this format is as soon as someone buys the object that's attached to an actor, the actor leaves the stage, which means the object no longer has a voice. So you never get the reaction of the object to being bought. And it seems to me that that's kind of a... And the way I ended up with that coffee cup is the coffee cup had such a sad backstory and was so confused and hurt by the fact that they were at the charity sale and it didn't understand why the owner didn't want them anymore that, you know, I was looking at a couple of other items and I, and I, you know, the woman asked me like, would you like to buy something? And I was like, you know what? I can always use another mug. And the whole audience went, aww, <laughs> because they were happy that the coffee mug who was so, so feeling so confused and lost was purchased. But then when I purchased the coffee mug, the actress left stage, which means I and the audience never got the reaction. Right. So she might have been excited or maybe like, oh, this guy? Okay. Yeah, exactly. She might have hated the fact that it was a guy rather than a girl buying her. Right. So, so, that, so it's a weird structure. But there's something here, Mike. Like there, there's like some there's something about this LARPing format that, and that maybe it's not the charity sale format maybe that's what it is I, I there's something here it's just this is a really clunky version of it so you know like this is one of those fringe experiments where like if you want to see something you've never seen before this is a new structure I've never seen anything quite like this so there were pros there were cons. It's like the cast was game. They were awkward sometimes with the improv, but they were game to keep it going as best they could. Um, the audience was a little shy at first, but as soon as someone broke that ice and went up on stage, you know, it was like other people followed. So, yeah, it, like, this was just an interesting experiment. Uh, it's not 100% successful at times, but a worthy experiment. What were some of the other items? There was, and here's the thing, I would have bought them, but I didn't have enough money. How do you get more money? So uh, actually what I did is like uh, I, um, I gave my money after because you can only go on stage once. You can only shop the sale once, you know, as part of the performance. I gave my money when I was done because I had some change. I just handed it to another audience member. So, so they got a little bit more money. But like there was a $25 item and I had like I think $12. Ah. And it was a pair of combat boots. Oh, nice. And, you know, they had this really great story. The monologue behind them was really cool. Um, there was a jacket which had been damaged. And her monologue was about how the damage happened, which is where I learned about the relationship, you know, of the musicians. Uh, and there was a dog bed. Okay. So, you know, it was, like, so it was like kind of cool. And the fact that there's these random items and you learn history and you learn how they feel about their previous owners and what they think the future might hold. And I will say the, the point of all of this that it is, is successful is the idea of what meaning we attach to material goods. 
like why are why is a material good important to you what means something to you so that that's kind of interesting there is interesting stuff going on in the show definitely so they only had a few items so it wouldn't be like a one for one audience can purchase no something. it's not you it's a it's kind of a proscenium based idea but you do the ebb and flow is when audience members you know want to go on stage they check in with the, the kind of like the moderator and you're like oh you want to come up and they do allow more than one person on stage at the same time that didn't happen in my show but they do allow that okay and what something if- i'd like to mention really quick if you want if you have something you want to get rid of and you're a good donate to charity anyway if you bring it to this show there's a possibility that they will write a monologue and it will become a character in a future show that's awesome which i thought was a really cool idea so what happens if everyone buys stuff from the sale i don't know <laughs> I would I would assume it's a shorter show, or I would assume other character other objects are waiting backstage. Probably interesting. Yeah, that's yeah, that sounds cool. It's really different. It's a really different idea. While I was doing that, you went to something that I'm intrigued about. Yeah, I think you would like this one actually, um, because this was one of the more traditional theater shows that I've seen, mm-hmm. um, and it's called The Physicist. It was written in 1961 by Friedrich. Durenmatz. I'm not good at pronouncing German names. Um, and it's the story of three patients in an insane asylum. So right there, I mean, <laughs> I'm in. Um, one of them believes that he's Albert Einstein. The other believes he's Sir Isaac Newton. And the last believes that King Solomon appears to him and is speaking to him. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So right there, I mean, the premise, and this is this is a very uh, dramatic with hints of comedy. Um, but I mean, right there, that's like a Three Stooges type of oh, yeah. like scenario. Like, if you wanted to turn this into a comedy, you totally could. Um, but it was it was definitely more more a more serious tone. And the actors playing Einstein and Sir Isaac Newton were so funny, just because they were they were playing it up. Oh, that's and good. Yeah, it, w- it was great. Um, but the story, the story starts with the, the patient who believes he's Albert Einstein murders a nurse. Wow. Yeah. I mean, again, insane asylum and murder. I was going to say, I mean. the, the, <laughs> you're making it sound like a comedy there for a moment. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> murdering a nurse is a comedy Before to you? Before you got to the murdering the nurse part, it sounded like funny. Uh-huh. <laughs> Keeping my eye on you. And so is the CIA right now. But when the inspector comes to investigate the murder. We, we meet the, the doctor of in charge of everything. And she's in a motorized chair, which in its own is hilarious because, you know, you expect quick movements, you know, when someone's like walking, but it was really funny because the chair was very slow. So when she would have to go into the other side of the room, it was just like, and it was the chair was its own character based on that oh that's which which was funny but also in the same sense you've never seen a more menacing woman on a slow motorized chair because man she can scowl and like when she was scowling and like charging quote unquote (laughs) you know the chair doesn't go any faster or slower but like you could tell what she wanted to do it, it was it was awesome. 
So was this a comedy overall? No, not at all. Okay. But like, there, but like, I just I'm just pointing out the funny things okay. because that's what's on my brain right now. All right. Um, but this show had quite a few twists and turns. Hmm. Uh, just when you think you know what's happening, nope, you don't. And then once you think you know what's happening with that, nope, you don't. And in the the final act, it's just it all you all the realizations come through and you see what's really going on, and it's 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 one of those things where you're just like oh my god like wow is this an hour long piece this is two this is two hours two hours really yeah so it's a full fledged play mm-hmm. within an intermission oh interesting all right I'm intrigued yeah and there's a a live band um there's what? a th- yeah. <laughs> There's a three piece. This just keeps getting weirder. <laughs> no, um, but they they don't do song they they don't sing or anything. It's just background music. Okay. But whenever you have live music in a show, it just adds so much to that show, even if it's just background music. I'm I am very intrigued. Un- unfortunately, now. I can't talk more because if I talk more, it'll be spoilers and the right. the element of surprise will be gone. No, I'm really curious now. There are some elements of surprise. Okay. Yeah. And when you get out of that, we ended up meeting for a show that we saw together. Yes. And what a show to see. Take it away because I... (laughs) Like, what did you think? I loved it, man. Like, this... This was the first show I've seen this year that wasn't afraid to be dark and disturbing and violent. And I am so happy... Because we've seen and we've talked about a lot about, you know, comedy or Mm -hmm. dramas. But this was like, this was straight up violence at times and sexual and fantastic. And psychologically twisted. This is the play more than anything else in the fringe descriptions. This was a show I wanted to see. And it's a play called Normal, written by Anthony Nielsen. It's explores the story of Peter Curtin, a German serial killer who was convicted of murdering eight people, including several children in the year of 1931. So this is real. This is true. This is a play based around true crime. And it is so disturbing. And their choice, Mike, in this of sort of exploring the relationship between the young, somewhat naive up-and-coming lawyer-type person who's assigned to defend this man, exploring the relationship between him and an admitted killer who... Who's proud of it. Yeah, he's very open about the fact, like, look, this is who I am. These are the urges that I have. Like, that... There are so many fascinating conversations, and... And also, Mike, I think this is one of the most ambitiously staged shows we've seen so far at Fringe. Oh, everything about this was just, it made me happy, you know, and not happy in the, oh, it's about a, well, I mean, that made me happy, but, (laughs) but no, like the, the choice for the backdrop that, you know, that looked like human flesh, that it was taken right out of Texas Chainsaw Massacre or the lighting effects that they had. There's so much intricacy that i think a lot of people will take for granted but because we're horror and haunt nerds 
all of those things made sense to the story in a horror sense. Right. And I didn't ever feel like they were, I mean, it's shocking material, but I didn't ever think that they were trying to exploitatively shock me. No, not at all. Because this, and it is shocking material. Like the, the, to hear some of the things that the curtain character says is so disturbing and at times just vile. I instantly liked him. He's so fascinating. <laughs> well, he's he's charming, you know? I mean, yeah, that's the other disturbing part of he, this. I feel like Richard Ramirez probably took a page out of his book. Well, and, and he, it, it's discussed in the show of, of that, you know, he has a way of seducing and charming people. Oh, yeah. And that's one of the reasons he's able to gain the victims that he gains. Well, and that's the thing, like he's almost more likable than the lawyer who you're supposed to be rooting for because he's the good guy. Well, yeah. And cause, and also because the lawyer is so inexperienced and in, and so stuck in, in action in certain areas of his life. Uh, yeah. It, it's hard to, if you're rooting for that character, if you're rooting for, you know, the law in this situation, you're rooting for him to overcome his shortcomings to face curtain head to head. And I don't want to spoil too much, but I don't know if he's up for the challenge. Right. Obviously, he's not. Because by the end of the show, he's not doing well. Yeah. (laughs) But one of the things I love is when we're able to go to the same show, sit Mm -hmm. right next to each other, and come out with a different view on what happened, like our own interpretations. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you're saying it's, you know, the story of the serial killer, which it is. But... What I took more from it is the story of the lawyer being manipulated by him. Mm-hmm. I, I totally see that. I totally see that. I The reason I see it more as of the serial killer, even though I, I do see, I totally understand what you're saying. It's the serial killer who's pulling all the strings. Right. And, and, like, and the way he manipulates the lawyer to do certain things and the way he talks about women and how he relates to women and how women relate to him is like, that is the draw of this show for me. It's so utterly disturbingly fascinating that it's like, I, I, I had that weird devastated feeling afterwards of like, ugh, people like this exist in the world. Yeah. And, you know, you and I have had the conversation. I jokingly call it, you know, the person you bump into in the grocery line can kill you genre. It, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's that wrong place, wrong time. Because people like this guy exist in the world is why wrong place, wrong time can happen. Mm-hmm. Because he explains some of his victims were just children playing in a park. Yeah, exactly. And because they ran into this guy, they're dead. That's really disturbing territory, especially when it comes from a charming character who has no sign of remorse whatsoever. Oh, no. It's, and he's glee. joking about it. Oh, yeah. yeah. So he's joking about it, and he's he's gleeful about what he does. And that's the disturbing part for me. This is not politically correct on any level. Yeah. And kudos to the actress, uh, Carolyn Deskin. Yeah. Because dealing with what she was dealing with, yeah. It's like the the whole cast is strong. She really does shine. This is disturbing, dark stuff, and I really, really liked this show a lot. And we should mention, uh, Mike, that uh, the serial killer 
um, Peter Curtin is played by Steve Madar, and the man assigned to defend him, who <laughs> whose name is Judas, just just justice. No, um, it's J U T U S. Eustace. Hustus. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I, <laughs> name I've never heard before. I remember it from, uh, there's an episode of King of the Hill. Oh, okay. Uh, that, uh, that character is played by Arthur Kang. I, I think the whole cast here is really, really strong. Right. And there's a movie based on this guy, correct? Yes, there is. Uh, and actually it's very funny because somewhere in the, it, I, I cannot believe I did not connect these dots. Somewhere in the middle of the show, he says, oh, and I hear Fritz Lang is going to direct a movie about me. And it was like, my head exploded because I realized, <laughs> like, oh, my God, this is Fritz Lang's M. This is who this guy is. It's like, it's the killer that inspired uh, Fritz Lang's M, which is the movie that, that Peter Lorre is known for. So, and I know you know who Peter Lorre is, Mike. Who? I'm just kidding. <sighs> <laughs> right and and actually that movie is on youtube and we'll put a link to it in the show notes disturbing film can't wait to see it and after that speaking of movies yes we went to see a musical based on a really bad b movie called robot monster uh we saw robot monster the musical which if you for film nerds if you know anything about this movie if you don't know the title immediately it's the movie where apparently they couldn't afford a costume for the space alien, so they got a gorilla suit and put a diving helmet on it. Yes. And it just looks completely ridiculous. Uh, I haven't seen the movie in a long time, uh, but I just remember it's a lot of people walking around for, <laughs> for much of the movie. Um, and this is a loving send-up of that movie in musical form. It seems like all the bad movies that get musicals are awesome as musicals we've enjoyed a lot of them yeah and this one was no different for for me like i loved this like i had so much fun and you know you have anytime you have grown adults playing little kids and talking like little kids it's such a a funny thing and you know there's one of the the main guys whose name was roy uh played by andrew villareal he had that stereotypical 50s superhero type thing going on, but he wasn't a superhero. Like, I would expect a, like a glint in his eye or like a shine on his teeth every time he smiled because he would always do that. And here I am. Ding! You know, like he had that kind of like persona. Well, it's just, I kept thinking of like, he's trying so hard to be smooth and he's not quite getting it. So, which makes it, all the more funny the fact that he's just slightly off in in being the hero yeah that's a really fun role that's that's a it's definitely a fun that that's one of my favorite parts of the musical was his character yeah and the robot monster which is exactly what i expected roman xj2 (laughs) and yes there was a gorilla suit with a diving helmet on that came out yes and even had songs to sing in this Mm -hmm. this was so much fun You've got the goofy smile again. I do because it was it was awesome. Yeah, I I really did enjoy this. Uh, I I did not enjoy it quite as much as you did, and the only reason I didn't is I thought I thought it could be faster paced mm-hmm. because it it um 
I don't know. It just, it was, um, it, it, like nothing escalated. Nothing got faster. It, it just like, it was just a one steady pace the whole show. And I thought the show could be a little bit shorter. This is a minor quibble, by the way. Yeah. This is, I, I really did enjoy it. I had a great time. I just thought if it were a little bit shorter and moved a little faster, that the jokes would land even funnier. So, and I will say this is one of my favorite visuals I've seen at Fringe so far. Definitely. And are you thinking about one of the kids? Yep. <laughs> There's a scene change where, let's just say, one of the kids brings something out on stage and it sets up a song and just that visual alone, I had, I was, I was so tickled by that. Uh, I'm not going to comment on that. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of B-movies and just funny, funny musicals based on really horrible, bad B-movies... Um, try to see this. It's 90 minutes of just fun. Fun stereotypes. The overconfident scientist. The like, father who never listens. The mother who doesn't understand her own family. You know, the adventurous little boy who never minds and gets in trouble but somehow helps save the day. I mean, like, like there's all the stereotypes mm-hmm. that you would expect. And it, it, it is. It's really, really a good time. Yeah. Speaking of good time, man, we're on a segue roll <laughs> for these shows. <laughs> Uh, after that, we went to see the video games. <laughs> I'm going to have to let you take the reins on this one, man. Because uh, I look seriously, I had a good time, but I am not knowledgeable of so many things that were in this show. <laughs> <laughs> I got some of the references, and some of the some of the references are now video game cliches. So I got I I laughed along with that but i don't know some of the characters in the show and and uh, you should explain the the whole premise the video games is a take off on the hunger games where instead of just you know people battling to the death it's your favorite video game characters from throughout the years um so there are people like Master Chief from Halo, um, Jigglypuff, Pikachu, um, uh, Samus from Metroid. Um, Mario was there, but he was a host. Um, Queen Zelda was there as a host as well. Um, just a bunch of people that you know from video games. And one, um, one that I had never heard of, which I, I want to ask you about, Mega Man? Wh- oh, my God. How do you he, not know who Mega Man is? He was is? hysterical, and I feel like I completely missed out on something. Mega Man is a great Nintendo game. Oh, from okay. From the original Nintendo. All right, sorry. So you've only had like 30 years to know who he was. I, I feel so useless right now. <laughs> it's all good. Um, but And this is another show that was in the immersive category. Yes. And it was at points because... I had a good time. <laughs> you had conversations with these video game characters. My conversation with Donkey Kong... Donkey was Kong was so, great. He was so much fun. And Laura Croft was hitting on me, which was awesome. Oh, I missed that. She did it in the middle of the show when... She was talking oh, about yes. dating. All right, that part. I thought you were talking about because she she was sitting next to you for a little while. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gonna raid some tombs. <laughs> Is that what you're calling it these days? Hey. <laughs> Anyways. Um, and this is also interactive in a way that you can vote for your favorite characters to live, I guess. Um, and that's done by Twitter and using hashtags. 
Uh, so each character that enters the video games has a hashtag and, you know, you vote and you can vote as many times as you want. This was so fun. And the cool thing about this show is because of that aspect, it changes every night. Yeah. So I heard people behind me saying they came the night before and they said that Scorpion won. Yeah, I, I heard the same conversation. They were, they were comparing like who had won before. So yeah. it definitely changes. And look, Mike, I, I'm... You know, kind of kidding in the fact that, well, no, I'm not kidding in the fact that I really didn't know a lot about these characters. And even if I was aware of who they were, you know, like Jigglypuff, it's like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry, wait, what? <laughs> Did you ever think you would ever say those words? <laughs> no, I'm I... just like vaguely aware of her, Uh huh. but I don't know anything about her. So I did appreciate the fact that she broke into a Sondheim number in the middle of the show. Which I was, I was wondering. Okay, I wonder if Mike is getting this reference, <laughs> <laughs> like the one, the one musical theater reference that I understood. Like, did, nope. Did you? Nope. Yeah, I didn't think you would. What was it from? It's for, uh, she. She um, did a video game version of Into the Woods from Stephen Sondheim's Into the Woods. Oh yeah, I totally knew. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Sure. <laughs> uh, but even though I didn't know the details of some of these characters, I still had a great time because I'm, I'm knowledgeable enough of the cliches that right. they all spawn. And one of my favorite weird things is right at the beginning. And I guess it's the character from halo mm-hmm. master chief got stuck against the wall, <laughs> which was <laughs> even, I was looking at that going like, okay, I know exactly what's going on there. Well, yeah, now because you have video games and you play. Yeah, and I I am someone who, in my being the newbie video gamer in this conversation, I keep running into walls. (laughs) And there there are certain things that if you played those games, you would understand, such as what Russell just mentioned or, you know, Master Chief teabagging and, um, you know, Scorpion in his catchphrase was used perfectly when he was talking about a girl saying, get over here. And... There's just so many references, but it doesn't take away from the enjoyment of the show if you don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, and this is a long show. This is a 90-minute show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got some immersive elements throughout the show in the fact that the audience helps determine certain things. And there's a break in the middle when you have to vote, and the characters come out and have more conversations with you. Like, even though I'm, I'm not nearly on the nerd level that you have achieved, Mike, uh, I really did have a good time at this. Good. Yeah, I'd be interested to go back and see how it's how it's different. I like, bet you would really enjoy it going back. Yeah, again. like are the fight scenes the same between certain characters? Because I was thinking about this. Since you're voting for different characters, I mean, how many different combinations are there that they have to teach? Because there is fight choreography. Yes. And, you know, do you have to teach each person for each character? You know, so it's like some of those behind the scenes things I'm wondering about. It would be and, interesting to know. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I love this one. I, I Even though I felt like a lot of it was going over my head, I really did have fun. And speaking of fun, Russell, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was your next show? <laughs> well, thank you, Captain Segway. <laughs> yeah, this one was rough. Uh, that one, This one doesn't work, because I don't know if many people think Shakespeare is fun. So, uh, Shakespeare can be fun. Um, uh, back whenever we originally did that like list of picks... I told you, Mike, that like the complete works of William Shakespeare abridged is a favorite comedy of mine. And it's got a simple premise, like three characters, and they have a goal, and that goal is to perform 
all or at least a portion of every Shakespeare play ever written in 90 minutes or less. Right. And so what ends up happening is there is this frantic rush through Shakespeare plays and it becomes goofy, over the top, slapsticky. There's lots of puns. There's over the top stage combat. There's, uh, <laughs> it seems like in this show, like uh, all of Shakespeare's female characters end up screaming at the top of their lungs in bad wigs and running around the stage <laughs> before they die. <laughs> So, uh, and, uh, I've seen this show, I think, I think I've seen four different versions of this show over the years. I just think this is so much fun. It's a really fun script. Uh, the cast here is Paul Green, Jordan Maramie, and Dorian Taylor. They're having a good time. They're having a blast. Uh, it's really fun. There's a little bit of audience interaction. They, they are constantly joking with the audience about how silly the whole premise is, uh, since the last time I've seen this show, uh, they have improved a couple of really nice tweaks about modern technology, which I thought was really cool and clever and helps the show. Like this is just goofy, fun, physical comedy. It just uses Shakespeare plays as the takeoff for that. Uh, their version of Romeo and Juliet is hysterical. And the fact that it's three guys performing it, it just adds to the weirdness in the comedy. <laughs> that sounds awesome. So, uh, yeah, it's like this show is really, truly a fun time. And it's one of my personal favorites. Cool. Speaking of fun time. Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mike, were you speaking of fun times? Um, while you were seeing that, I was seeing what might be one of my top favorite shows so far this year okay and that's comic con the musical Mm -hmm. we always talk about or you always talk about things that speak to me and (laughs) the subject matter it really spoke to me you know that's me doing you really do i sound like that yes okay and you do the hand pulling into your heart thing too i do say it yeah it's like it speaks to me I don't think I've ever realized that. <laughs> yeah. No, I, you might. I don't know. Uh, I'm just... Damn you. <laughs> but this is how Mike makes me insecure. <laughs> it's just he tells me something and I believe everything Mike says. Remember that 50 bucks you owe me? <laughs> okay. Maybe not everything. <laughs> uh, but anyway, back to the show. This show. Oh, is... wait. I do owe you 40 bucks. Wait a second. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. Never mind. Go ahead. Do you? <laughs> Yes. Never mind. We'll talk about that oh, off. Okay. <laughs> Just keep going. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> Can you tell it's late, everyone? Okay. Comic-Con the musical. Focus. Focus. This, this show spoke to me because I, I collect, I've collected comics. I collect toys. I've been to Comic-Con. Every character in this show I've seen and I've known you know, you have the cosplayer, you have the indie comic creator, Zombie Destroyer, shout out. What's up, Chris from Sunspots Comics? Listen to his podcast, go to sunspotscomics.com. Um, but I've known all of these people, you know, the fan fiction writer, just the super fan, the, mm-hmm. the, yeah, oh, everything about this was just so entertaining and fun, but not in, in an exploitative, oh, you're a nerd, I'm a nerd, it's cool, <laughs> kind of way. You know, because there's a lot of things that seem to be doing that, right? Like nowadays. Mm -hmm. But you can tell that this show was written out of love from a comic background. 
Okay. And it really, really shows and it really helps this piece perform because you can see the love and, you know, it's, it's a musical as well. And I don't think I've seen a musical where the cast as a whole sang this many times. And that's one of the highlights of this show is like when the whole cast sings, it's so, so good you know, the different harmonies and only being accompanied by a piano, a live piano player. Oh, okay. And apparently this is just like their first draft of the show and this is not their full vision, but this, you had mentioned, so you want to be a vampire in the last podcast and how you want to see this in a year after yeah. all the productions. This, I feel that about this, because if this was their first go around at this and not the full vision, that when they fulfill this vision and have say more musicians or, you know, a bigger space or, or special effects, you know, they joke about people flying through the audience in the program, but like, it's going to be amazing, you know, because even as it is right now, it's so good. I should probably talk about the plot. Okay, (laughs) sure. Go ahead. (laughs) Um, So anyway, so the plot is, um, you, uh, you, they're at Comic-Con and there's an indie comic book creator who's trying to give his comic book away and there's a cosplayer, but it's a character that has no backstory and a fan fiction writer. They all meet because Alan Gray, who could be a combination of many people or it could be someone, it's just one person. I don't know. Like I was getting a definite George Lucas type backstory vibe hmm, from him. Okay. Um, but, but his story is he's created a, like a movie franchise and there after the first movie, there was 26 sequels. Oh my gosh. So he's kind of in his like degrading career days where it's like, he's not the, the, the top dog anymore. Mm-hmm. So he has a surprise pitch contest. So the indie comic book creator and the cosplayer and the fan fiction writer team up, but the evil DB from the CW series vampire hears about the plan and it's 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 so fun i i don't want to give too much more away but it's it it yeah it's one of those types of stories and the cool thing about this is at the end it's such an inspirational story because one of the ending songs is about finding your superpower which which is basically like find what you're good at and do it and it's okay if it's nerdy and it's yeah it's so good i mean it's really like this would be good for for kids like that are into comics that may get teased at school or something but it's also good for you know adults because we've all been there you know and if you're into comics chances are you got made fun of at one point so right yeah i i love this so much wow yeah that's awesome. Yeah, I'm glad I went. Excellent. I will do my best to try to fit that in as well. Cool. That's what she said. <sighs> it's late, man. <laughs> uh, we're recording this very late. It's after midnight. So, yes, it is. Uh, and after that, you went into another show, right? Yes. And earlier in the podcast, I had mentioned that you're rubbing off on me and I start. I'm starting to realize different things about different shows Mm -hmm. this is one of those shows that i had your voice in the back of my head okay Uh, the show is called domino is down and it's the story 
of a longshoreman whose life just kind of sucks. Um, and everything that happens just, it gets kind of worse and worse, but here's the thing. The Russell voice was saying, how am I supposed to feel about this main character? Because at times you feel bad for him. Like Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, this poor guy, you know, he talks about how he had trouble uh, down there and had to try Viagra, Mm -hmm. you know, in how he got in a fight and lost in front of his ex-girlfriend. You know, there's stories like that that really make you feel for him. Mm -hmm. But when the person he's speaking to excuses herself to go to the bathroom or to make a phone call, he starts talking to the bartender and just sounds so ignorant and misogynist that it's, you kind of start bringing this hate towards him. Hmm. So you have these conflicting feelings of, Oh, that poor guy, but you're kind of a douche the way you talk, you know? So like, that was like the Russell voice in my head. And like, it was a good story. It was a good show, but you know, we always talk about have making that emotional connection with the characters and, right. you know, and I just don't know how to with him because... Because it, of it, the, the misogynistic, obnoxious part? Yeah. You just couldn't relate to him? Yeah, or? well, because the thing is that canceled out the feeling bad for him. It's like, oh, this poor yeah. guy. And it's like, wait a minute, you're kind of a, like a douche, like, <laughs> you know? Like, okay. But... So we're so this has to lead somewhere, which I know you don't want to be spoilery. Right, but. it does. So the let me back up a little bit. So he meets his friend's wife at a bar. Um, they've been friends since college, and he was supposed to meet the friend to her husband, mm-hmm. but he was stuck at home. Um, and it's his birthday, so that's that's kind of the premise. Okay. Um, and then he just they just start talking. He's like, "Well, where is he?" and and they start talking. He brings up, has he ever taken Viagra? And the 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 wife is like, wait a minute. You want to know probably because you took it or something. And so he tells the story about that. Oh, okay. And each story just kind of gets more and more depressing. Um, wow. And then there's uh, other patrons in the bar that, you know, have talked to him about certain things. And eventually it it, it kind of spirals into a falling down moment, you know, that movie where he's just had enough and he breaks breaks. Okay. Something like that happens. And that's all I'm going to say. Okay. Did you feel for him after that situation? Just you personally? Uh, It's hard to say because it's not one of those things where it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm glad that happened. Okay. But you know, because no one deserves what happened, like the way it happened. Okay. Um, but I wasn't sad. Interesting. You have me intrigued about this show. Yeah. <laughs> it's my <laughs> way of storytelling. <laughs> All right. So, and that was uh, called Domino is Down, correct? Correct. Okay. All right. Uh, wait, while you were in there, uh, I was seeing something called uh, Apathy Killed the Cat. This is a show written by someone named Ryan Lisman. And Mike, you and I saw a show called Absolute Zero last year. Yeah. Which he wrote. Um, And I I liked that show a lot last year. And um, one thing about Fringe Festival, uh, the variety that we keep referring to, if you're looking for some really challenging adult content, this, this, 
this uh, this would qualify. <laughs> this is um, definitely adult territory. Uh, I, I I really liked this show, Mike. It but it is it is very odd. I, I don't want to get too spoilery, but um, here here's the basic premise. You meet at the beginning of the show, sort of a stressed out playwright who's dealing with a whole bunch of stuff including an ailing mother some family stress and the fact that his cat is dying and through a rather odd series of events um, his girlfriend and his brother who is coming to visit because of the ailing mother learn a little secret about Colin the playwright and Here's the cool thing about the play. It's sort of like a sexual fantasy that he has. And everyone else, when they learn what it is, wants to condemn him. Ah. And judge him for it. Because they don't understand why he would have the desires he has. And I I, I am I hope I'm not getting too spoilery. I'm not going to go into what, what it is. but um, But here's the cool thing about this show. And I, I think, you know, uh, Ryan Lisman, who wrote the piece, I think credit has to go to him for this. The conversations that happen, even though they get judgmental, even though the characters jump to conclusions, the cool thing about this is it's not about shame and it's not about knocking someone down. It's about, I don't understand you. So, the fact that these are really frank, awkward, uncomfortable conversations about sex between adults, that's actually really cool because it's not from a place of condemning. It's from a place of, wait, let's explore this. Even though the characters want to condemn him at first, this is an exploration of, okay, wait a minute. Like you, you admit that you want this in your life, maybe, perhaps, that might make you happy. Okay, wait, why? And when they start to investigate and unpack the why of it, it's utterly fascinating because you start hearing glimpses of his past and his past relationships with other family members and pivotal moments about his life, which have influenced him forever. And here's here's another cool thing about the show. It's like, I'm sure, Mike, that you have things in your life in your past that really mean something to you, but maybe somebody else who was there at the same time, like it would mean nothing to them. Right. And that's sort of what you learn is you learn that, you know, how much he really loves his girlfriend and why it's like, there's a moment in his relationship with his brother that is extremely crucial to who he is as a man. And the fact that, you know, his brother, did something heroic for him at one point and how that affects him every day. And so all of that reveal is so fascinating that by the end of the show, they're willing to have a different type of conversation about the thing which they wanted to judge him for and desert him over. So just the fact that this is such an adult conversation from a really, I think, intelligent place uh, you know, this is this is cool stuff. And look, this is a weird balance of fantasy, comedy, drama. 
There's heavy subject matter. There's fantasy sequences that are just surreal. Um, I, it's just, and yet somehow they all add up to these people understanding each other better. So, oh, and a couple of things I want to point to. I think the cast is really strong here, particularly the role of Colin as played by Aaron Stahl, who is the playwright who, um, <laughs> he gets so much crap thrown at him from people, uh, there's a nice comedic edge to him, but very endearing and very human. And the rest of the cast, um, Autumn Brewer is the girlfriend. The older brother, John Woodley, is really strong. There's a younger brother, played by Ethan Barker, who is the perfect comic foil for much of the tension. Like, really funny moments. And all coming from sincere character moments. So, like, this, this, I really enjoyed this show. However, be warned, it is very adult conversation. It's, it's, um, there is uh, nudity in this play and, and very adult content. Definitely not for children in any way. This is not a family-friendly show. Uh, but I really, really enjoyed this show. Awesome. I'm bummed I missed it. Yeah, because I know you saw Absolute Zero last year. Yeah, and, it was and, great. Yeah, and, and uh, I'm from the same playwright, uh, which was also a very adult conversation-oriented show. Mm-hmm. And then to round out the weekend, we saw Grim Tales mm-hmm. together. And this was such a charming show. Yeah, I think that's the key word, just charming. Yeah. And this is another show where I took something different from you. My interpretation was different than yours. Okay. Um, because I took it as this was almost like a prequel of how the Grimm fairy tales got made by the two brothers. I like, could see that completely. Yeah. But... I don't think that's right. <laughs> you know, after I read the description again, it's like, oh, I'm totally wrong. But that's what's good about theater. You can take interpretations away that are not the intended ones. <laughs> you're making up stuff in your head is what you're saying. No, not at all. You just said you can see it. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yes, absolutely. I, I totally see why why you would think that. Um, I I kind of walked away with this in the fact that it's it it shows how children can use stories to protect themselves from the fears of what's in the world yeah because it is a magical story where you know two two brothers find out that they have the power to make fairy tales stories that they tell come to life and how they wrestle with that and how they use that power and how they eventually realize that they might need to grow out of that power and become adults. All of that is is really, really nicely done in this show. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I think the word you use, charming. It's just, yeah. And, and also, this is, uh, I loved the simplicity of the staging. Yeah. Because if it's ki- two kids telling story, and you know what I thought of is I thought of, like, I'm, I'm sure you did this as a kid building forts. Yep. With boxes with sheets and sheets and, 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 and a flashlight. Yeah, and that's what this part of this set is, two ladders and a sheet with with a light behind it. And so you see shadows and, you know, they utilize that in some of the storytelling. And, it, like, this is just a really charming show about the power of stories and the powers we give stories. You know, and look, I, I had a healthy fantasy life as a kid, believe me. And, uh, okay. <laughs> Lust. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Uh, so that, you know, that's what it reminded me of is the stories I used to tell myself as a kid. Yeah. And, you know, hearing those stories again, uh, these are all stories that the Grimm brothers 
you know, made famous by the Grimm brothers. Yeah, I you'll guess, recognize who them, wrote definitely. them. Yeah. Um, it was good to hear them, you know, because how often do we go and read kids' stories nowadays, <laughs> you know? It's been a while. Yeah. So this was fun. Unfortunately, this the show we saw was the last show on the run, but um, I don't see any reason this couldn't be remounted at some point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And before we totally wrap up the fringe stuff, we want to mention two things about a couple of shows. Yeah, um, the first thing is we talked about So You Want to Be a Vampire in the last podcast. And after speaking with them, we found out that we the show we went to did have a technical glitch. So there is more blood. And also the scene that was hard to see is moved to the front. So it's right in your face. So it's awesome that changes can be happening and for the better of the show. We're going back to check it out, and we were told we were going to get soaked. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> yeah, they wait. promised more blood. So, because we we thought that was a little odd that there was a seemed to be a lack of blood at the preview, and they have promised more blood. So, and um, so one thing that I would like to mention is uh, I had discussed uh, upstairs a musical tragedy, Mike. Yeah, and I was ta- I was telling you, uh, it, it's a fascinating story of a fire that killed uh, numerous people in 1973 in a bar in New Orleans, and there was no satisfactory justice uh, or investigation because it was a gay bar. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I did not know was exactly how much fiction uh, was in the second half of the show about the wrap-up information. Uh, Wayne Self, who is connected to the show, wrote me after hearing the podcast, and he wanted to let me know that uh, actually the character in the play, which uh, they kind of explore at the end of the show who has information about the fire, apparently did present information to people about what he knew on the fire. That is actually based on stuff that they know happened in the investigation of the case. So I just wanted to, it was nice of him to clarify that. Yeah, that's awesome because you really liked that show. I, I did like that show and I was really intrigued by the outcome because it's this really completely weird emotional outcome of how do you deal with the guilt of surviving something like that? But apparently that character is based on what they know happened in somebody who was at the bar. So that I thought that was really interesting. And, I'm, and I really appreciate them reaching out and letting me know because I was curious. Cool. So that wraps up the fringe stuff. But we've done other stuff during this same weekend. We finally got a chance to take part in the Infinite Dinner Society. Yes. Which was the uh, the cheese plate edition. Yes. It was good cheese, man. Well, two of them were good cheese. <laughs> <laughs> that third one was rough. <laughs> but what did you think? I found it interesting. Um, I don't know what I'm supposed to get from it. Right. I know that these are like little itty bitty. Uh, first of all, this is really short. It's how long would you say it was? Maybe 10 minutes. Right. And um, it's they let you know the location shortly in advance. Um, they tell you basically to where to be in Hollywood. And luckily, it was near the Fringe Festival. So it wasn't uh, that difficult to, to meet up with these guys. And uh, you were in a different show than I was. Um, and in this particular show, I know they've done solo pieces before where one person gets the show. Um, there were four people in each group. And the focus was on, wait, I believe they're going to remount this. Yeah, we probably shouldn't say what happened. Yeah. Um, I will, all right, I will say this. They throw a lot at you in a very short period of time. (laughs) 
And I talked about this with my group afterwards, Mike, and we all agreed in the fact that we didn't quite know what to focus on at any point. Right. Because there's visuals, there's movement around you, there's things being done that, that you know, change your body position in relation to everyone else around. Um, and we didn't quite know what to focus on. And so uh, in my group, the audio was kind of lost a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got to say, very intriguing. Right. And they do feed you cheese. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. It, all all five of your senses are being used. Yes, absolutely. And exactly, you're not sure. Be, you know, because they always say when one sense is gone, the others are heightened. Mm-hmm. So when all five are being used, you know, maybe if you know if we were blindfolded, would the cheese taste better, or right. could we hear something better, or if we didn't see, but it, or if we didn't hear, you know, all of that thing. Yeah. And it makes me wonder if if each of these are are standalone pieces or if it's part of a bigger story. I think it's part of a bigger story because somebody in my group had done the donut version. And some of the verbiage in the donut version, they felt the audio in the cube version was a continuation of that. Okay. That was their interpretation. Oh, cool. So, interesting. Yeah. It's definitely cool because... I would consider this probably performance art. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it's just, it's more people creating, which is yes. awesome. Yeah, which and, is which is awesome, definitely. And it's different. And more people are being exposed to it, which is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. So I am curious to see what else they do in the future. Yeah. To find out more about what's happening and when, most of the stuff is put up on their Instagram. I think actually all of it at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can find them on Instagram at Infinitely Dinner Society. Uh, they do have a, a Tumblr account as well, and that's infinitelydinnersociety.tumblr.com. Uh, so check that out. And they usually post on Instagram about um, tomorrow we're, we're doing this or or. So if you're interested, email us and that kind of thing. So keep an eye out for them. Now, earlier in the podcast, Mike, I had mentioned that after one of the Fringe shows, I had driven over to Zombie Joe's to do something called Santu Deliria. Yes. All right. Which I haven't done yet. Yeah, and that's the problem. <laughs> you can't talk about it. I really cannot say a single thing about it. Okay. Because I know you well enough that anything I say... You will know what I'm referencing, mm. and you will know, or you will theorize on the content of the show. For more information, no, <laughs> no I, I get it. Thank I, you. I, it's it's really frustrating because I so want to talk to you about this. Um, I will say this: I enjoyed it, definitely. Awesome. And I know the run is sold out now. Yeah. Um, they did add a weekend, but I think that's sold out as well. It is. It is. I asked at the time when I was at the door and it was sold out. And also it's a very, very limited number of tickets per night. Um, it's a one-on-one experience, which I think, you know, you would gather that from when you went to the website and you learn more information. And I will say that it's fairly intense, I think for a lot of people. So, but I don't want to say anything else because I know how you feel and I know you would want to go into this show completely blind. Of course. I've stayed away from everything. Like yeah. I know there's reviews on it and continue and doing that. Yeah. Absolutely. I am so happy that I knew nothing. Awesome. God, I want to talk to you about it. <laughs> Jesus. 
<laughs> I really, really like, like, I want to talk to you about it. But I mean, it got a Russell thumbs up. So that says a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, there's, we'll talk afterwards. Okay. Um, so yeah, I guess it's, it's sold out. So, but keep an eye open or ear or whatever. Um, check out santudeliria.com and or zombiejoes.com. Keep an eye out um, for information on more tickets being released. Which hopefully they will do. Yeah. I haven't heard one bad thing about it, so I don't... Interesting. I don't see why it wouldn't keep going. Because so mm, you see, one of, the, one of the people who work there actually said something to me, but I can't even say that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good. Uh, so you did something else I didn't get to do because I was at Comic-Con the Musical and I had that ticket and mm-hmm. it was during the exact time frame that this was happening. Um, what was happening? The iConfidant meetup, which is part of the Lust Experience. Lust. Peace, bitches! Oh, yeah. So, so do tell. <laughs> well, there is uh, a video uh, on the posted on the Lust Experience forums, and there is a YouTube uh, link uh, as well um, to what happened. And for those of you following the Lust Experience, iConfidant is the sort of matchmaking, even though it's not a dating website. Um, I bet you wish it was now. <laughs> very funny. <laughs> Um, so leading up to this event, there had been, um, some warnings, uh, Stacy, the head of iConfidant, uh, had sort of broken down in a video, which was shot by Kristen, which is also an iConfidant employee, uh, that she didn't know who the iConfidants were, even though she was the head of the company. And you got the feeling that something was amiss behind the scenes. So that was sort of the leading up in the, in the couple of days previous to this. And then we got information that we were going to be able to meet our iConfidants, which is the people we've been emailing back and forth and supposedly we had been matched with. So, and I've said on this podcast before that my iConfidant and I did not connect. Right. So... You know, we go to a restaurant in uh, West Hollywood and uh, we go to a back area and I meet up with lots of familiar faces. And dude, seriously, you have no clue how tough it was to get there. <laughs> on time. As, as a matter of fact, I think I was three minutes late. Because you came from a fringe show, right? I came from a fringe show across town. I literally was, and it's funny, it's the farthest fringe. And yes, I did look this up on a map the farthest fringe venue away from where this was being held. Of course it is. It was literally all the way over on the freeway. The OSDM planned fringe fest. (laughs) (laughs) So I hopped in an Uber and this was the day of the gay pride parade in West Hollywood. So at one point my Uber just like, we got caught in like bumper to bumper traffic. And I just, at one point was like, it's a block away. Let me out. I'm just going to walk it. (laughs) It's too bad you didn't have the scooter experience. <laughs> so, um, but I, I walked in and they had told us in an email that, you know, the actual uh, um, introductions weren't going to start until like uh, 20 minutes in. So I knew that whatever was happening, I was probably okay. So I got there and people were like getting something to drink and, and you know, saying hi to everybody. And then they led us into an auditorium. Uh 
and uh, Jacob, who was the guy who introduced the Scarlet panel last year for Tension. Okay. Uh, he made an appearance. He was sort of like the moderator guy of the Scarlet panel, and then he quickly lost control of the panel, if you remember that. Yeah. Um, so he sort of did this introduction of, and it was very much the sort of self-help guru kind of vibe of, are you ready to meet your right confidants? Like, oh, you can do better than that. It was like sort of that vibe. And, um, and then he kind of turned culty and like his voice deepened and got gruffer. And he repeated the thing from the Noah, Megan, uh, um, a periscope. Wait a minute. Wasn't his name Jonathan last year? Oh, was it Jonathan? I know Jacob was theorized on the forums. I didn't remember. Cause I thought, cause he, yeah, it was Jonathan Scarlet. That was his name on the, on the tension forums. Really? Okay. Then, then my apologies. No, I don't know no, that, but if that, if maybe Jacob is his real name. Cause I've seen Jacob before, oh, that's like on the, like them say, cause that's his, that's what he introduced himself as. I don't I don't remember oh, okay. him introducing himself. I just like that name came up on the forums. Got it. So I my apologies, I'm not sure on that. Because something cuz his I think he was Jonathan Luther on that was his name. Oh, I vaguely recall. And then that. he said something in the video cuz I watched the video and said in my family and we know the Luthers were part of the family because of like, you know, I think it was Rosemary and then her husband, I think. I forget his name, but there's definitely Luthers going through everything. Interesting. Sorry. Okay. All right. So no, no, I, I'm, thank you for interrupting that. Cause like I said, I just pulled that name off the forum because that's what people were theorizing and I, they might've people just remembering it incorrectly. Um, but, uh, he kind of repeated the phrase of you have said that you would submit yourself to the desire and freedom, uh, which is the, what we signed at the registration on a sheet of paper or some of us signed, so immediately, obviously, iConfidant is now tied into all of this uh, mystery and intrigue on the corporate level. And Stacy breaks in, looking at all of us going like, after everything I've said, what are you doing here? Were you stupid enough to come, was her indication. Kristen does an about face and admits that she orchestrated Stacy's breakdown to lure all of us there. So... Uh, she <laughs> basically uh, screwed Stacy over, I think. Because uh, the idea being like, if Stacy was broken down and we don't know who the eye confidence are, we would go, I think, to, to be on Stacy's side to find out what the truth is. So during that conversation, I was sitting the second row from the back all the way off to the end, Mike, and I heard a door creak behind me. And I look over, and I see a face poking through. And at first I was like, I thought it was Noah, because he was so in the shadows. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, Noah's going to barge in. I'm like, it wasn't Noah, it was Tom Barrow. Oh, man. So immediately I was thinking, all right, this is suspicious. (laughs) Like, which wall will he get thrown into? So, um, and he comes down, and he does a brief speech, uh explaining or or theorizing of like hey look if you were in the position where you sort of controlled the idea of salvation that if you ha- if you were someone's salvation 
that if you had enough people believing in what you had to sell, this is my interpretation, not his exact words, by the way. Um, what if you had that? Wouldn't the power be thrilling? And what if you suddenly lost it? How would that make you feel? And then he said, well, what if you had the opportunity to regain it? Wouldn't you do that? And at one point he said, I'm a scientist, which I thought was an odd revelation. I was reading like theories and like he created the helmet, apparently. I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. So because he, he makes comment about like, hey, brainwashing someone is hard. Influencing someone is easy. And, you know, the helmet was supposedly the tool used to brainwash Addison and perhaps others, the handlers. So we're referencing a lot of tension experience stuff now in this gathering. It's announced that, are you ready to meet your eye confidants? And, you know, some people raised their hand and a few didn't now because of, obviously this is starting to make everyone in the room uneasy. And he said, well, if you don't raise your hand, why don't you just leave? Nobody left because I'm sure everyone wanted to know what the reveal was going to be. So um, a uh, figure is led out from a door uh, at the edge of the stage in a long black robe and hood. And the hood is pulled back and Sabrina is standing there. Hmm. And I almost said the word Addison because I am (laughs) so used to calling her Addison. And Sabrina, you know, there were gasps in the crowd, and Sabrina explains that she is back. And she admits that it doesn't make sense to some degree in the fact that everything was taken from her, everything was destroyed, and they used her. And on a personal note, Mike, it was really uncomfortable watching her standing up there in front of us with the Tom Barrow guy standing so close to her. Right. Because the last we saw... He was slapping her. Yeah, the video of him slapping her. And so I really was... I started to get angry at that point. It was just like... I mean, but like, do you think it's like Stockholm Syndrome? Maybe. I mean, that that could possibly be Because that's the only thing that makes sense. Well, she, she states, she says, look, it's like, you think you know me... You know, from my social media, those are just images, you know, like they're the eye candy sort of that I put out there. But you don't know me. However, it's like, and then she starts listing everyone's eye confidant, you know, and she listed them by name and, and or the nickname that they were given in the exchanges with everyone in the room. And she said, I am each and every one of those people. And what she's a liar. Well, she, here's the thing is like, she states because the obvious thing is why it's like, you know, she was destroyed and she drove, she drove off into the sunset. Well, or the night, <laughs> I guess it was later than sunset. So, um, it would have been more dramatic if it were the sunset. <laughs> so, you know, she drove off devastated and, you know, stripped of everything that she had put faith in through the tension experience. So how did she get back here? And she admits like, look, they took everything from me but somehow I missed it. Right. So somewhere in that, she decided to return. I don't know what they offered. You know, and was Tom talking about power, like his power, or was he talking about Addison's power? His power. That's the way I interpreted it. It was all about him. Right. 
but Sabrina's back. I mean, maybe it's about her and she wants to be overseer and have people bow to her and she couldn't get that in a normal life. Well, here's yes. Yeah. I think all of that is possibly present in the fact that she like, look, she tasted power Mm -hmm. and she, in her conversation in front of us, she said like, look, I am an actress. I like eyes on me. She is enjoying the spotlight because that's part of who she is. So even though this doesn't totally make sense, it seems like they, you know, she did try to explain her presence and why she was there. There was also a reference that the helmet was not necessary anymore, which I find very interesting. Hmm. So if Tom is a scientist who developed this technology, it sounds like there have been some leaps in progress there. I mean, technology moves fast. Yeah. Even even if it's not technology, maybe it's not a helmet. It's, you know, an injection of sorts or a pill or... What about faith? That's the one thing we couldn't control. We couldn't program out of her was the phrase, I think. Yeah. Maybe her faith is still there and maybe she's putting it in someone that we don't trust. Who knows? So... Near the end of this, when she's naming the I confidants, um, she asks me to step forward, Mike, which I got to admit made me rather uncomfortable. Um, you know, and I walked down and I faced her and, you know, she said to me, I am so, so sorry that I couldn't, pardon me, that, that I was a disappointment. Now, remember, this is the I confidant meeting, right? Yeah. So, and she's just revealed that she was everyone's eye confidant. Mm-hmm. So I interpreted that as, because I'm the one who said I was disappointed in my eye confidant. I've said yeah. it publicly on the forums. I've said it on this podcast. I emailed Stacey Erickson, not to try to change eye confidants or anything. I emailed Stacey Erickson to say, I don't understand the process. Mm-hmm. That's what I don't get, is like, why am I paired with this supposed 39-year-old woman who's been cheated on? who kind of as a Hail Mary, it seemed, sent me this message about where she explains why cheating was such a trigger for her. I just didn't relate. So finding out that Addison was that person was just confusing to me. Right. And I was angry. I was angry that she was there with Tom. I was angry that this was the big reveal. And I was angry that she didn't... Can, like she like I keep hearing about like you you had exchanges with her mm-hmm. as your eye confidant I felt cheated and it pissed me off because I had stood by her to some degree so I had a lot of mixed emotions and she she apologized she said I I am so sorry that I disappointed you and one of the things she said is I couldn't be your Addison and I interpreted that in the moment as I couldn't be Addison this time around. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like Addison is gone. This is not Addison. So if you were looking for a companion and I confidant, if you were looking for someone like Addison, that ain't going to happen. That was how I interpreted it in the moment. I mean, one of the things I'm thinking about, like now that we're talking it out is, you know, you meant, you just mentioned that you were always there for her. And, I tried to be. I, and I didn't always succeed. Maybe that apology is because she was writing to you as this new Sabrina and not as the Addison that needed help. You know, that kind of thing. That's helpful. I'm glad you said that that way. That's helpful. Yeah. I, the more I think about what you just said, I, I like that theory. That, that that's partially where this came from. That she couldn't be Addison maybe in this 
game, whatever it was she was playing at. Yeah, because you can't talk to you the same way. Yeah, that's true. And um, I think I was thinking too small because of the iConfidant setting, because this was supposed to be about iConfidant. So that's how I interpreted the it in the moment, which is why I, I was very angry. And people asked me later, like, like, are you okay? And it was just like, I said, yeah, I'm now confused more than anything else. And, and disappointed in her. So in the fact that, like, okay, fine. Why not any connection? You know, and, you know, he, and, you know, the theory of me being isolated somehow, like, because other people were, you know, and I, I was on the forums. Other people were complaining about the robotic exchanges and things like that. So I'm not the only person who didn't connect. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to make from all of this. But the ending of it... Um, you know, I'm so sorry that I disappointed you, she said, that I couldn't be your Addison, and I thank you for your effort. And Mike, I heard that is a screaming F you to me. Oh, wow. I did. So, because the way it, it, it sounded a little bit smug to me in the moment of like, I'm not trying hard enough to connect. Maybe that's why I'm not emotionally connecting in the lust experience. You know, it's just that thank you for your pause, pause, pause effort. Just rub me the wrong way, man. Well, I mean, maybe, you know, you kept, you keep saying this is about I confidant. Maybe it's about trying to connect. You know, you kept replying. Maybe that's what it meant, too. Okay. God, you, you, thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for, because you're getting me out of my head a bit. Your head's a scary place to be. Yeah, it is. It can be. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, she said that to me and told me to go sit down. Uh, there was a little singing, chanting, a sort of calling. And there was a reference to the bringing Anak in the flesh to Earth. So that was dropped in there near the end, too. So we're back with the OOA trying, or maybe not the OOA. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody trying to bring Anak in the flesh. So now here's, here's a, a, another thing that I just want to uh, uh, point out. Another, another concept, which actually came up a little bit on the forum. Cause I, I relayed a lot of these feelings, you know, on the forum. And one of the people that responded is, is Chris. And, you know, he pointed to something which, uh, is similar to what you're saying, but going farther back. And the idea that perhaps the, you know, the apology in saying that she was, you know, she was sorry that, you know, this was a disappointment and her that she couldn't be Addison for me was actually a reference to the ending and some of the uh, encounters intention in the manner of she didn't succeed as Addison. And I had put so much faith in whatever was going on. And the fact that now she has returned and perhaps what she means by I couldn't be your Addison is, well, now look at me. Well, look at me now. I'm here in this capacity. And I know that's going to disappoint you. So which Chris started ta- you know, like getting me to think in those lines. Mm-hmm. So I, I walked away from it's funny because in the moment I was thinking too small I think, but now that I've had some time to like literally 
a day <laughs> to ruminate on it. And, and, you know, I read some other stuff online because the confusion, you know, the confusion on the forums is why were we warned not to go? If this was the revelation, it seems like an important revelation. Right. So why were we warned not to go? And, and in the same thing of like, why is Addison back? This seems like a really odd leap of faith on her part. So there's a lot of confusion right now, but you know, for me, it was just, it was an emotional moment that I think I took wrong in, in the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a lot to take in. Yeah. And I was, I was kind of put that's on the spot. That's what she said. Oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> Lust. Um, yeah. And I was kind of put on the spot. You know, I did not expect to see her there. That was a, a shock for me. Right. So sorry you weren't there, man. Yeah, I'm bummed. I missed it. That sounds cool. Mm-hmm. But, you know. So if you'd like to see this video yourself and to uh, hear the references that I've made reference to about the helmet and uh, Addison's return. I keep calling her Addison. <laughs> Sabrina's return. Um, I will have a link to that in the show notes. So um, now the forum is now erupting with conversations about what are the connections of Tom Barrow to, you know, possibly the characters in that we've met so far, like Horace or, you know, what is the connection between, uh, you know, Sabrina and OSDM? And like, so those are the theories that are going on now. And all of that can be caught up uh, with on the forums. My Red Room makes more sense now. Yes, it does. Absolutely, it does. And for more information on the Lust experience and all of this fun stuff that Russell is talking about, uh, you can find them on the web at thelustexperience.com, on Facebook, The Lust Experience, on Instagram, The Lust Experience, and on Twitter, Lust underscore experience. Yeah, and, and one real quick thing, um, Post Fact Society uh, interviewed me uh, in my story about Otis um, and we'll have a link to that as well, but I just wanted to give them a shout out because they're trying to uncover the truth about everything, uh, and all these conspiracies that may or may not be happening. Uh, so check them out at postfactsociety.net. So that's everything for this past weekend. <laughs> We've got to slow down. Yeah. That's not happening. Uh, sleep when you die. Yeah. Right. So, okay. Uh, so thank you very much for listening. Yeah. Uh, if you want to contact us, you can email us at Mike at my haunt life or Russell at my Find us on the web at my and all the social media things at my haunt life. You can leave us a voicemail or shoot us a text at five, one, five haunt LA. And with that being said, thank you for listening. I'm Mike and I'm Russell. See ya. Oh, I thought you were going to cough. No, yawn.